Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. And you're very welcome to the Temple Bar Tradfest podcast. I'm delighted to say that one of the great icons of folk music is with us, and he will be performing at Tradfest on the 27th of January in the National Stadium with Stockton's Wing and the Dublin Legends, doing his own show, I should say. And that's the wonderful Ralph McTell. Ralph, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Colonel. Something to live up to there, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no better man to live up to it, I have to say. It's really good to talk to you. Uh, we've had some very trying times. I'm just wondering, actually, if you've been busy yourself in the last 20 months. What have you been doing? Well, I would love to say that I've you know, d- d- discovered how to play the trombone or something, but I, I haven't. I've just, I think, I'm very few musicians I know. We all miss the, the, we've all missed the live audience, of course, and, and, and getting out to play. But I have to truthfully say, I've never, I'm never bored. You know, I have the guitar on the sofa. I have a lovely piano downstairs, which I've been. I was playing the piano every day um, at, at some point, or trying to. I'm I'm a, a user of a piano rather than a pianist. I love to uh, compose with the piano, and I can get lost for hours on the on the instrument. You know the hugeness of the of the possibilities there, and you know chords and stuff like that, and playing some. I'm trying to get a bit more fluent, and and actually, this is an admission. Trying to throw in the odd black note as well. I've, I'm a white note player mainly, <laughs> thanks to the transpose buttons on keyboards. But I, I'm I'm getting on with the key of F with one with one black note in it, and um, and as an ear musician, of course, I have to learn everything parrot fashion. But a couple of the songs on the last album were composed on the piano and also I was writing uh, quite a lot of prose and stuff and tinkering with poems and looking at old pieces that I hadn't done so to be truthful I was not bored and the two years they've got it's a bit like a I describe it as like a concertina sometimes it seems a long time when the when the uh, the bellows are pulled right out and sometimes where did that go when they're pushed right in so I've been okay. I haven't had a real problem, but I must say I'm actually back out on the road again and I am loving it. I tell you what, I think my life depends on music. You know, my life, I play, they say he played as if his life depended on, I hope I always do because it's, that's what it's all of, that's what it is for me. It's my life. It's been my life. I'm, I'm coming into the sixth decade, somebody reminded me the other day, which is quite an extraordinary thing to think about. But I am just creeping into the first part of the sixth decade of, of being a professional musician. And when you started out, was that what you had expected? I had not a clue, Kieran. I just was obsessed with the guitar and what it could do and the sound of it and... And when I got a few gigs in folk clubs in my early years, I thought I'd gone to heaven straight away. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. I, I had an old ex-GPO minivan and a sleeping bag in the back and wandered the, <laughs> the highways and byways. I found an old date sheet one day and I couldn't believe the kind of travelling I was doing, you know, when folk clubs were the, 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 the king. And, and I, was, I was amongst it, you know, and it was just absolutely brilliant. But the idea that I would be doing it for 50 year plus years uh, is was never in my mind i just i feel so fortunate you know really fortunate and in in those early years actually you did a fair bit of traveling across europe and even into yugoslavia 
I did, yeah. Um, I wandered across Europe with the guitar in a sleeping bag and um, occasionally sleeping in shop doorways or wherever in, and out in the open or by the side of the road or whatever and, and, and having a life. I didn't know why I was doing it particularly, but it was, it was it's, I think it's what Cat Stevens used to call on the road to find out. You know, and I just, and I just, I was just, just traveling. I managed to get as far as Istanbul, all through Yugoslavia and so on. And, uh, and I, I did think at one time of going on to India, but I got finally my lack of food. I, I, I tried very hard when I was writing my little autobiography, uh, which finished when I was 21, when I met my wife, of course, I think the story becomes ours after that. But as I was a kid, I can't remember eating anything on those trips. <laughs> I think I just, I'd, I'd existed on fresh air and, and cigarettes, you know, because everybody smoked in those days. Maybe the odd tomato or a bit of bread or something. I, I don't really remember eating. I think I weighed about 10 stone when I came back, as opposed to the healthy 16 and a half that I am now. So um, <laughs> that gives you an idea. <laughs> But what about those early years? I know that they certainly would have had an effect on what you're, some of the songs that you're writing now because you actually started out playing the mouth organ, did you? I did as a kid, yeah. I, I think every little boy in the 50s had a harmonica of mouth organ at one point. Um, I took it everywhere with me and up until about 11. I won a talent competition in the Salvation Army with a mate of mine and I thought they would give me a trombone immediately and my future would be secure, but they didn't. And um, I, and then, of course, the skiffle and music and the sound of the guitar seduced me entirely, you know, and uh, that was it. And what about the sound of the guitar? Who who were those that were making those sounds that influenced you? Well, do you know, once, once I'd um, heard Jack Elliott, um, at, a, at the end of a, an evening in a jazz club, I heard... Jack Elliott playing the ubiquitous um, San Francisco Bay Blues on the guitar, and I just thought, oh my goodness. And suddenly it just spoke to me. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Went back home, dug out this dreadful piece of equipment called an Egmond uh, by a company called Egmond, made out of X plywood boxes of tomato boxes or something I don't know it was almost impossible to play but I sat there until I'd worked out the chords of this song and then I had to get a guitar that sounded like that and it was the sound of, of, of that acoustic guitar and there was a program on TV I don't suppose you would have seen it in Ireland but there was a program featuring it was a news program every day and it finished up with Robin Hall and Jimmy McGregor uh, playing some song, uh, Scottish folk song or something, which I was intrigued about. But more important, it was the sound of a Gibson J45 that Jimmy McGregor played. And I knew that's the guitar I have to have. Of course, it was many years before I could save up enough money to buy a guitar like that. But I eventually got one in 1965, and I still play that guitar. And did you keep the Egmont? No, I would cheerfully have burnt it on the fire. No one told me you had to change the strings occasionally. Yeah. And that rust, if you zip, zip up a rusty string, you can cut your finger open, you know, and stuff like that. So it was an instrument of utter torture. The only thing that I, I, I could derive some comfort from that, that um, they also made a fearsome beast called, I think it was... It was a black and white cello guitar or semi-acoustic type thing and McCartney had one, but it didn't stop him and the Egmont didn't stop me, but we just found a way around it and got something that we could actually play. 
Well, we're delighted that you have made all that progress <laughs> over the years and that you will be with us actually for Tradfest uh, on January the 27th. Now you'll be playing, of course, uh, on that night. Stockton's Wing will be on the bill and the Dublin Legends. And I want to talk to you about your relationship and friendship with those and indeed with many of the Irish performers over the years. But you've also suggested a couple of songs that we might play here. The first one being the setting. Can you tell us a little about that? Years and years ago, Christy Moore and I were in lost in somewhere in Wales or somewhere and he said he'd had to, to go and say goodbye to his sister. Um, she was leaving the country and I sort of vaguely remembered and that was the scenario that I set up in my my head, the idea of the older brother taking his sister to the station. She's she's about to leave and in this case in, it would have been in Ireland and we are to imagine that nothing ab about the circumstances about the man leaving is helping his feeling of sadness that she's leaving because the sun is shining, the birds are singing, there's a blue sky and she's so excited and he doesn't want to be a damper. And you know, so you're actually supposed to wonder more about him than her. Has he been away? Has he failed in his mission when he was away? Has he returned home to Ireland? What's he thinking? But slowly, as the course of the song develops, he creates a scenario that fits the mood of goodbye by wandering into a bar in, after he leaves the station and in the dark and it, it commences to rain until he sort of created the scenario which is the most suitable for the, for the leaving of his sister. And I finished up with a song which I knew would be a sleeper but gradually now I've been, it's worked its way into people's um, uh, awareness and, and I get asked to play it. Well, let's listen to it. I'll never forget all the walk to the station Me with your suitcase Being brotherly strong I'm just trying to make light of the whole situation In light conversation We move through and above all the roar of the town was the blue sky I could hear the birds singing for the joy of the day and there was no from the city forthcoming No sympathy numbing You're going Crossed over the road 
Hakande in a bar, an old man was singing, and I sat there drinking until it got dark. Beautiful version of the setting there from Ralph McTell. Ralph, I will assume that you'll be performing that song on Thursday, January the 27th at Tradfest. Well, I'd love to, actually. I mean, I, I've not really considered what I would play. I think, you know, I'm I'm very blessed that the fact that... Um, I must tell you a funny story, actually, Kieran. Um, I'm, I'm blessed that one of my own compositions has worked its way into the Irish canon of songs which is, of course, from Claire to here, which I now dedicate to Nancy Griffith, who we sadly lost this year. Um, she did a lovely version of it and made a lot of people aware of the song. But my dear friends, Finbar and Eddie and the boys, got the song way back when and, and had changed it somewhat melodically and speed-wise. But nevertheless, 
Uh, it's their version I normally hear when somebody when somebody plays a song, and I'm really delighted by that. And I'm going to tell you the funny story. I got a message from a friend of mine uh, up in Yorkshire who's an avid collector of music and folk music in particular, and he said to me, a friend of his had just sent him a book. I think it came from America, and in it was it was a book of Irish traditional songs. And somewhere in the middle of it, it appears that From Clare to Here was a song written about the Irish emigration in the 1850s after the famine. And, uh, and it is actually traditional after all, which, which I take as a great compliment, Kieran, to be honest with you. So, uh, but, um, you know, I never really know what, what, what I should play. I've also got my song, Mr. Connerton, which is um, as an Irish subject to it. But there are so many songs, you know, I'm particularly identified with with Irish music and, and so, because I've got so many friends through the world of folk music and so on. Luke Kelly and yourself were good buddies for a long time. Well, we had, we enjoyed a wonderful long distance friendship. I was, the first time I heard Luke, it's very simple to tell you. I mean, a friend of mine took me up to some club or other in North London when Luke was obviously working and I wasn't even a professional musician. So I'm guessing it was, pre-1963 or 4 or maybe 65 and this man sang with the banjo enough to, to you know to push you through the door through the door through the wall i've never seen such commitment and power you know from anybody and in fact i find it a bit scary that someone was so i don't even know if i caught all the words but later on when i first played in dublin the first person we met at the gig was was luke and uh, danny thompson was with me the, the great double bass player and luke never left us and in fact he we traveled all over dublin that night but every every time i went to dublin i would i luke would either be there at a show or i would pop into one or other the bars that he was at I was just so impressed that he liked what I did enough to dig me out. And we were together in Australia when, of course, the Dubs had that big tour over there. And he rang me up um, one day, I think it was through Jim. Jim was talking to me, he said, I've got Luke who wants to talk to you. And, and Luke said to me, I gather we were in Australia together, Ralph. And I said, <laughs> yes, Luke, we were. And I yeah. thought, oh, he's having... And of course, this was the first signs of the dreadful business that yeah, he had to, to go through, where, where he had the, 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 the brain tumour and so on. And of course, McCann and I got on like an absolute house on fire. Jim McCann and I were, were became bonded through laughter and, and hilarity generally. And, and dear Jim recorded three of my songs on one of his albums. And, uh, you know, we were lifelong chums. And, you know, of course, when he was he experienced his own demons as well and that sort of pushed us apart a little bit but i'm i'm very happy to say we we got back together um uh, before he sadly passed away um and uh, and of course his wonderful wife phil who was one of the funniest women i've ever met and so beautiful and such great company so yeah i was real blessed there uh, two things you mentioned there, actually. You mentioned uh, From Clare to Here and its connection with Ireland and your connection with it and uh, Dublin and Dublin musicians, but you actually sent that to Luke originally. I did, I did indeed. I, I recorded it on a cassette and sent it to him. He said, I just never opened those things. And to cut a long story short, I gave it to a chum uh, of mine and he sang it that night in a pub um, up in Coventry and the Furies were in the audience and and it went from there but I would have loved to have heard well I did actually I was instrumental in getting Luke to consider doing 
song for Ireland, which he said at the time he hadn't heard. And I, I did, and this was a lovely story. I, uh, he took me down to the Dublin Arts Club and, it, and they found a guitar and he said, play it for me. So I played it to him. And when I finished, I looked at him and he was visibly moved. He had a tear running down his cheek and he said, uh, he said, I'll do it. And of course, I thought he'd never done it. And I bumped into Billy Whelan and uh, at um, one of, I think it was probably the, uh, Jim's funeral, and I said, I, I was, you know, hoping that Luke would, would record it. He said he did. And I was the, I was the person who recorded it with him. So the, the, I'm very gratified to think that Luke did the song as a result of me introducing it to him. And, uh, and um, I think of him a lot. He, I still think of him as older and wiser than me. He would have been 81 this year, I think. And... Um, you know, he was always that little bit older than me, and he still is. He was a wise and an amazing man with an amazing voice and an amazing delivery. Yeah. Speaking of Claire to hear, the Furies did take it and make a huge song out of it here in mm. Ireland and across Europe, actually. How mm. did you meet up with them or how did, you, how did that connection come across? Uh, you know, it's, it's a network, isn't it, of folk music. I think I first became aware of these two young lads that had been sent over to England um, it would have been 1966 or 65, 66, maybe 67. By, I was told about them by a bloke who ran a folk club in the Highcliffe Hotel, and he said, there's one of them plays the pipes and doesn't speak, and the other one who sings and plays the guitar. And he said, there are only these lads of like 15 or... One's 15 and one's 17 or something. And, he's, and I was intrigued, and then they, they recorded on Transatlantic, and I heard um, that amazing piece of pipe playing that Finbar does on um, the Fox Chase, I think he calls it, which is still a tour de force after all these years. And when we met up, I mean, they all knew, I guess, Streets of London, and they've recorded a song of mine called The Grand Affair, and they even had to go at the setting. They had, they had one wrong chord in the setting. I don't think they'll mind if I say that. We're just... Good pals. I know, I, sadly, we lost Paul, but I, I know the other brothers very well, and uh, uh, they're great company and uh, proper ambassadors for the music and for Ireland, for that matter. Well, let's listen to the original and definitive version then of Claire to Hear. Thanks, Ken. Was for who share this room, and we work hard for the crack, and sleeping late on Sundays. I never get to mass It's a long way from Clare to here It's a long way from Clare to here It's a long, long way It grows further by the day It's a long way from Clare to here when Friday comes around, Terra's only into fighting. My mom would like a letter home, but I'm too tired for writing. It's a long way from Clare to here. It's a long way from Clare to here. It's a long, long it grows further by the day It's a long way from Clare to here 
It almost breaks my heart when I think of Josephine. I told her I'd be coming home with my pockets full of green. It's a long way from Claire to here. It's a long way from Claire to here. It's a long, long way. It grows further by. The only time I feel alright is when I'm into drinking. It sort of eases the pain of it and levels out my thinking. Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here. It's a long way from Claire to here. It's a long. I dream, I see white horses dance upon that other ocean. It's a long, long way from Claire to here. It's a long way from Claire to here. It's a long, long way. It gets further by the day. It's a long. It's a long way from Claire. Ah, Claire to here by the wonderful Ralph McTell, and I say that because I just can't get over your own energy, Ralph, and your enthusiasm even <laughs> after the challenges of the last twenty months or so. You're still <laughs> looking forward to the gig and the performance, and we do look forward to seeing you in Dublin. You have a long relationship though with Dublin and performing over here. I do, yeah, and uh, I am so grateful for it. I am, I'm very cognizant of Irish history and politics, and I take an interest in in uh, in both. And as you know, as we've already talked about, I love the music. I love the soul of the music. I think the pipes are a definitive um, instrument to express Ireland's joys and sorrows. And I have no intention of, you'll be relieved to know of ever trying to take them up. I'm content to listen <laughs> and be, I'm, I'm content to listen and be moved constantly. Thanks. I love the, Thanks, I, love the <laughs> yeah, I love, I love the kind of, I've said this over and over, that in, within Irish music, we have all the brio and, and fun of the, of the lively tunes. And then we have the most deeply plaintive sounds of, of, of loss and sorrow as well. And it's all there. And if you add that to the Irish humour and uh, general joie de vivre, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very seductive whole package. 
And that's one of the, my attractions to, to Ireland and my Irish friends. And I feel very honoured that um, I've been accepted and some of my music is now, uh, you know, has is, is found its way into the Irish canon of music. So I always look forward to come over. I don't always know that I'm equal to all the situations I've played at. I've played in some very noisy places and been quite overwhelmed by that. But, you know, the concert audiences that listen and, um, and so on, I'm able to play... Uh, you know, I've got quite a large repertoire to choose from, and of course, it, it, some of it comes through, especially in the narrative type songs that Ireland loves anyway. Um, I've, that's one of the ten plates that suits my my writing. You know, I like to tell the story. I like the story to you know, um, and I like to have a little twist in the story sometimes as well. And uh, you know, even if I can't. If I don't have the dexterity to, to fly up and down the keyboard, I think the melodies are quite strong and people respond to that. So I feel very fortunate. I thought you had developed that dexterity now on the piano over the last Oh, while. I wish, I wish. No, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still marvelling at the possibilities, but I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm playing with two hands now, you know, things yeah, have yeah. moved on. Yeah, black note. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's a, it's a kind, I mean, that's a lovely thing. I said to somebody once about, when you learn to play an instrument, whether you're learning by dots or not, when you sit down to play, when you open the case, you should immediately, if you were wired up, you would feel, a, you'd register a little tremor of excitement on a needle somewhere, because it means you're gonna pick up your instrument and within a few minutes, you're gonna settle into something you can play. You always start off with something you can play. Then you're gonna challenge yourself to do something you couldn't do last week or the week before, and it's getting better, so you're learning. And then you finish it up, and you carefully put your instrument back in its case, and you shut the lid, because the next time you open it, you're going to get all that happen again. And that still happens to me, even now, after all these years, it, I still get that buzz. I've got a, a guitar on my sofa at home, always, but I also have another one, I think, oh, I'll play that one now, and open the lid, and that buzz, even going into a theatre the same, you know, open the guitar, take it out and start playing, it's always there, and I think if you can, when I tell someone, you should always have that joy of anticipation when you play, if you keep that, then, you know, you're getting music's true reward, because that's what, music is its own reward, your own achievements, no matter what they are, they may be slower and not as good as people, some people that are professional, but you'll always have that joy through music if you can um, keep that approach to it, the mystery and wonder of it all. Um, Ralph, uh, The Streets of London is one of those songs, and you, you mentioned earlier about doing new things or trying new things, but I believe that you finally, or that you maybe resisted for a long time adding any other verses to that song, but you did recently, I believe. I did, and again, this is another Irish connection. You know, I, I, I'm an avid news man. I, I watch the news. If, if the news channel is on, I probably would stick in front of the television all the time. One of the people that I noted um, and have always uh, admired um, in reporting is Fergal Keane, who was BBC war correspondent for many, many years. I found his reports so moving because there was obviously a poet at, at work there. You know, his his journalism kind of moved into the poetic and there was obviously compassion for what he was having to do. And I think that has been a burden for a sensitive man like Fergal. Anyway, we've, we, we, we have got to know each other through music and um, 
Fergal said to me, would you ever consider writing uh, any verses to Streetsland? And I said, well, to be honest with you, Fergal, I think the song is of its time and it describes another type of um, a person, an alienation. Uh, in the 60s, I think we were more compassionate somehow than we have become. And we've come, become used to a kind of subculture uh, through, through you know, mental illness or, or through addiction or whatever that's created a, a different type of person that's living on the street now. And I said, I'd feel that he said, well, I just discovered a, a girl that lives under a, a bridge in somewhere in North London. And, and he was plainly moved by it. And I thought, well, yes, I suppose there is a, a um, you know, to bring it into, into the 2020s, perhaps it would warrant um, a, another verse. But it was really done for me as an exercise. I think that the way I will continue to perform Streets of London is a song of its time. But for Fergal, uh, I wrote this verse and we, we, we played it on a programme he did about the Irish in, in Britain. And uh, it was a lovely series on BBC Radio 4 here. And we, we did the song uh, in my front room there. And I, I don't think I've sung it since then, but it exists. And, and obviously it has my approval, but I, I think the song is probably long enough in the four verses that it is and and again i think it's of its time and if it draws people's attention makes them think about modern homelessness well that will you know it's serving a purpose still to this day you know yes and that's the sadness uh, that what that song was written about all those years ago could be equated to a lot of what's going on today indeed indeed now you're going to be, you're going to be singing that i presume i want to ask I you what else you'll be singing well. in january when you come over <laughs> uh, on the 27th of january but we're going to finish this chat with a song uh, called west fourth street and can you just give us a little background to that song yes um if i was to name the most important artist of my generation there is no doubt in my mind that it would be bob dylan Bob Dylan freed, freed uh, the creative spirit in so many young musicians, male and female, by his, the passion with which he wrote those early songs, the basic guitar technique, the unusual vocal settings. It, it, it's all there. And the great art that, that, that shaped Bob has been a companion of mine through my whole life. Um, not always followed every step of the journey. I describe it as slipping off the roundabout, but clambering back up again and joining in the ride again and watch the ride change him. And he, in turn, has changed the way we listen to music and the way we write songs. And that was really brought, that was already evident on the second album, which not only had songs that every single fella in the world wished he'd written song like... Um, you know, don't think twice, it's all right, With where you disguise your breaking heart by just saying, you know, there's somebody else and I, you just wasted my precious... and all this stuff, all these wonderful couplets. It also had a, a sleeve on it which promised everything. Two kids walking down the street with about to change the world and full of optimism. And in 1963, when that album came out, that's how the year began. In February, that album came out. In November... Kennedy got shot. So somehow in those few months, the optimism 
of youth and and creativity we got a slap in the face and had to grow up this is how it's going to be get used to the idea and it was a, an unbelievable year and the photograph was was and is an unbelievably strong icon of uh, optimism and hope and youth and love and creativity and i wrote the song originally for suze who i i have read her book called freewheeling time where she maintained her original politics right through to the end but sadly she passed away before i could get the song to her and again i'd spent about a year working on it finally i got it together and a friend of mine eventually got it to, to Bob himself, who wrote me back the most beautiful letter of thanks for it. So I, I mean, it was, it was more than I could have ever hoped for, and it's probably now one of my favourite songs, because it's so difficult to write something which is nostalgic in one sense, but optimistic in the other. And I think that maybe I got close to nailing it in this one. I'm glad you used that word because I saw somebody describing Ross McTell as an optimist, so it is there. And we so look forward to hearing you perform at Tradfest on the 27th of January in the National Stadium. You'll be there amongst your friends on stage and in the audience. We look forward to that. Ross McTell, thanks a million for joining us here on the podcast. What a pleasure it's been, Kieran, and I look forward to seeing you, man. Take it easy. Cheers, Kieran. February 63, the call would chill your bones There's a couple walking down the road West 4th Street and June Shoulders hunched against the cold They walk through melting snow She smiles for the camera And he affected not to know His hands deep in his pockets his head was slightly bowed All the studded nonchalance That the weather would allow Her arms wrapped round him like a shawl To keep him from the cold Love so warm Can melt away what once She had to hold shot in that Lincoln limousine drenched us all in blood and splintered bone right on our TV screen Kissed my girl on Gower Street How was I to know That we'd begun to drift apart As I stumbled through Soho In the unforgiving neon light The words she couldn't speak Were written in her mascara That dried upon 
listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.